0: welcome to this edition of conversations and connections the official podcast of the family crisis center of east texas i appreciate you uh joining us today my name is Stuart burson the prevention coordinator for the agency and with us today we are talking with dr bob choate who is uh, one of our counselors here at the agency dr choate thanks so much for uh I know your schedule is very busy, and I appreciate you uh, taking some time to to join us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, let's just, i guess first of all, okay. What what what's the doctor behind the Doctor okay. Bob show? What's what's your uh, what's the educa- what's your educational background?
1: Okay, well, I have degrees and in, in undergraduate degrees in psychology and journalism, which kind of a I think fits kind of. Uh, I have a, a, a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. I also have a master's degree in hospital administration, whereas I did that for a little while, too. And my doctorate is in counseling and educational psychology, which primarily uh, is a part clinical and part teaching program from the University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, I have contributed to publications and books on evaluation, intervention, and treatment of mental health disorders and substance abuse. So that. Brings you Sounds.
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you sound like you're, you, you do sound like you're qualified then mm-hmm. for what we're going to talk about today. Well, just, I, I guess, first of all, if you don't mind, just kind of describe your role here at the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. What's your role with the agency?
1: Well, I, uh, I do primary uh, mental health care uh, for both adults and children in the area of domestic violence and sexual assault. Uh, I see both inpatients, uh, uh, outpatients, people in the community, and I see people who are in our uh, safe house, Uh, people who are, many of them are in crises, uh, certainly in the safe house, and more uh, stabilized or transitional people who are in the community. And some of them are in crises when they are in the community also. Uh, I supervise counselors uh, uh, in training and licensed professional counselor associates who are providing services in our
0: our four or five different uh, locations. And, you know, one of the things I was really wanting to touch base on today is often I think when we think of survivors of domestic violence, you know, we think of the here and now, you know, mm-hmm. what's happening to them now, they need to get out of this situation, and but really, uh, as a survivor of domestic violence what what kind of effect does that have on a person I guess long term? when we're talking about after everything's done the they're they're away from the abuser they're they've gained their independence and 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 everything the uh, the effects don't go away, I wouldn't think
1: well, and abuse doesn't go away either. Uh, uh, not only do we have uh, societal abuse, we have uh, uh, discrimination, we have oh, there's all kinds of psychological things that kind of follow the person along after maybe they've left the abuser. Uh, keep in mind that, uh, that uh, domestic violence isn't just physical abuse. It's also sexual abuse, it's uh, uh, psychological abuse, and the one that we most often miss is uh, economic coercion, Uh, because in many abuse situations, and for many uh, men and women both who are in abusive situations, there is also a curtailing of freedom the freedom for economic exploration, the freedom of movement, uh, the freedom of expression. And so those, those have been so curtailed over the time of the abuse that to get past that is very, very difficult. Uh, keep in mind that uh, m- many of these people are seeking divorce. They do get divorced. And in divorce, almost always, the male does better. Almost always. The women are are thrown into very deep poverty. So you have that economic and uh, uh, coercion that goes on in that. And so you look at that as a long-term issue of uh, poverty and all of those social issues that come with poverty. Uh, Adequate living, uh, adequate jobs, adequate um, money and food to take care of kids, all of those kinds of issues are things that you find in domestic violence and, and, and often in sexual assault, too.
0: So, and I think that's a lot of people, when they think of domestic violence, you know, as kind of the cliche, the the man giving his spouse, you know, the black eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but But like you said, there's so much more mm-hmm. to that. And I'm sure you've probably seen maybe cases of domestic violence or domestic abuse where physical violence never maybe even played a role in it. It may have just been all verbal. Right. Let's say. Psychological. and, and, And when you hear
1: for years and years and years, one, you're not any good nobody loves you if i didn't love you nobody would love you you can't go anywhere you're not attractive uh you can't do anything the yelling and the screaming and the hollering uh, e- example what i get a lot is is that uh we get uh couples who say uh, well i'm afraid of you and the the spouse would say well i've never hit you and and the woman who often has had this playing for years and years and years. It says you don't have to hit me. All you have to do is yell at me, scream mm-hmm. at me, you know, sure. all of this other stuff going on, and that is just as harmful and sometimes as, as terrifying. And some there are some women that wish they would be hitting because it would it would solve a problem. It creates many more, and it doesn't solve any of the issues.
0: Going back to – you you said something earlier about after everything is settled, a lot of times the man is better off financially mm-hmm. and everything than the woman. What, Where does that stem from? Does that stem from the way that relationship was set up or he was the dominator and – or is it society? I think it's,
1: it's, it's part of the so, uh, social settings. Uh, I don't know for – ever since I've been alive anyway, and that's been a while, uh, women have really uh, uh, had to fight for rights, have had to write for the, fight for the rights to own property, to have a bank account, a- and this is an attitudinal barrier that we're having to work with across society, that women are often, in, not in this society, but others, seen as chattel. They're bought and sold, and they're impressed into, uh, into servitude, and... Uh, uh, and that is supported by a large part of our society. And believe it or not, women buy into that too. That's what they hear from the time that they're born, that this is the role that's expected of them. Now, the role, to, uh, role that they hear isn't doesn't necessarily mean uh, physical violence, doesn't mean sexual assault, but sometimes that's a part of that. And when they go to people and they say, hey, help me, they go, well, you chose this. What's your problem? Just leave. Well, leave with what? And leave with how? And leave with where? And leave with when? And what's where's the support? Uh, one of the thing, one of the the recurring themes is is that when, when we see people who come for services at the family crisis center, we say, Well, what kind of support do you have? Well, I don't have any. And there's several reasons for that. One, uh, the uh, the batterer. In this case, has has selectively oppressed the free the free will and the freedom of the individual, so they've excluded them from friends, from uh, community. I've had people that uh, hadn't been out of the house in three or four years because they they weren't able to go to the grocery store, they weren't able to have friends, and this happened over the period of time. But that's the nature of many of uh, of the. Uh, strategies that are used to keep the person isolated and so by the time they get to see us they're totally and completely isolated they lost their family because their family says well why don't you just leave him?" well that's not a reality for them that's not something they can do there's a there's a statistic out there and I can't remember where it comes from that on the average uh, a, a, a domestic violence victim will leave their abuser five to seven times before they're mm-hmm. able to finally leave. right? And But that, that, that's a societal issue. So that's why we're there. We're part of that uh, societal um, treatment where we, we get them a place to live, we provide services, we uh, help them help themselves. I'm a firm believer it don't do anything for anybody they can do for themselves because that builds character, that builds them up. So we support them we allow them the freedom to make choices, the freedom uh to the freedom to have freedom. And that's a real
0: important issue. Sure. Um the next thing I was well, I was gonna ask, and I think we've kind of covered it, was you know, how does an experience of domestic violence affect a person? And um I guess one of the things that I just I guess I want I wanna ask is after it's all said and done. Does anybody really – I know normal is kind of a subjective word. Well, I don't, uh, I don't know if I've ever met a normal, but i met a common. What? There are common things. Right. <laughs> but th- does, does life ever get back to normal for these folks who are survivors of abuse? Well, uh,
1: I, I truly believe they have to create a new normal. Because no, it will never, yeah. they haven't, uh, for many, and we're, for some we're talking about a year or two, some we're talking for 15, 20, 30 years, sometimes 40, 50 years they've been going through this. So the the truth is, they have to create a new normal, and they have to learn new strategies for dealing with this new normal. Uh, we. When, we start, when I started this 47 years ago, I've been a counselor for 47 years, so when I started this, the belief was that there was something wrong with the woman who was in the relationship, that somehow her, uh, her picker was broken or something. We've come to realize that it's much more complex than that. It really has to do with the dynamic between uh, the victim and the batterer also the dynamic between the culture and the family. So it's very, very complex. You take a woman who comes into the uh, uh, women's shelter, Uh, trust is always going to be an issue, always. Uh, Self-image, the way they see themselves within the society, how they can earn a living is an issue. Many, many of the women that we see have been sequestered for so long. They have no skills for the marketplace. And so they're having to do, so that's a whole new normal. Right. Uh, it's not what you and I or what most of the people sure. out there would consider. They don't, they don't take, real, uh, uh, take thought of that. And then what we have to do, you know, then they have children, many of them have children, not all of them, but many of them have children. And all of those children are affected by domestic violence. Uh, they, they learn ways of relating to, to uh, their family and to, cho- to other children and to society as a whole that are not, that at the time were necessary for survival, but for the long time it, it's not. And that's what we have with uh, people who come to the, come for services. They have, they have adapted ways of survival that won't work anymore. They, 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 they're not productive, they don't get them what they want. So we have to start over. Uh, and create and train and counsel through learning new ways of being. Uh, I tell the folks that uh, uh, they don't come there to figure out everything, to figure out why and the hows and, and the things like that. What they come there is to expand themselves, to include themselves in a new type of being because they want to be free. They want to be, they want to be able to be independent That's often a a really important goal for many of the folks. But to be independent, that to learn new ways of being, new ways of of, of addressing that.
0: We've talked about society having an effect on on how a survivor copes, I guess. Do you see a difference in, in your years of practice? Do you see a difference in people in a rural environment versus a more of an urban environment? Oh, by far. There are a lot less uh, uh, options
1: in a rural environment. A uh, lot, uh, lot less facilities, a lot less services, a lot less mobility. Uh, I, I, you take somebody, and I, I just, I'll pick one out, uh, Shelby County. Uh, Shelby County, uh, much of it is very rural. And uh, if you don't have a car, you don't have gas, you don't have money, uh, where are you going to go? You, there's, there's no options for you. Even in Nacogdoches, which is relatively rural, Lufkin, that's relatively rural, there, there is limited resources there to address many, limited jobs, limited opportunities. Sure. Uh, um, bus service and to get from place to place. Uh, most of where we need to work is over there, and I'm here, and how do I get there? Uh, oh, and how do I have my three or four, five, six, seven kids taken care of while I'm doing that? And so there, the service, just the availability of services is considerably less <clears> and, <throat> and, uh, and the number of people in order to help with that. There's also, I think there's some societal attitudes in a rural environment that are different than an urban environment where there, is, um, there are more volunteers, there are more people to, to be there at service to folks, and that really makes a difference.
0: Let's talk about the kids. Um, okay. When we talk about um, survivors of domestic violence, besides the person who was actually the recipient of the violence that mm-hmm. we're we're talking about, um, obviously it can affect others besides that survivor. That's correct. Uh, many of the
1: kids are, are very traumatized. Uh, keep in mind that uh, that many of the children are uh, physically abused. Also, uh, they have either uh, by self or others. There's a high instance of sexual abuse, high instance of uh, alcohol drug use. Um, there's there's some uh, um, and the social support really isn't there for them. We we do a great job, and the schools do a great job in ferreting at, that out. But there's there's only a, there's a limited amount of what they can do. Uh, the kids coach up at school, uh, and you don't always. It's not always a black eye. It's not always a, a, a mark on exactly. the body. Right. Often it's a black spirit. Is that that the soul of that child has been damaged? And so they carry that around with them, and uh, they they act out. They're combative. Uh, all of these things about de- they're depressed, and children and children act different than adults when they're depressed. Uh, little children tend to have somatic issues, and and teenagers tends to tend to be angry all the time. And we say, well, what what, what is their ADHD? when well, we need, we need to give them a pill, uh, and. And the truth, find, truth of it is, is that many of these children that we find in school are are acting out and are identified because they're suffering from trauma, complex trauma, because many of them will have sexual assault in their past, physical abuse, psychological abuse. Um, we've had um, uh, uh, people in our shelter that have moved around; they're in school, they're into five to seven schools a year. They're educationally deprived they're socially deprived, they're, uh, they're uh, uh, lonely, they're alone. And so that all creates this atmosphere of uh, failure to thrive within our society. And so there are long-term effects of that.
0: Yeah. And I've always heard, and by all means, I, I, am not a, don't, I do not have a psychology degree, but mm-hmm. you've always heard that uh, children who grow up in that environment are probably going to mirror that when they get to be adults?
1: Well, they, they certainly mirror what they learn. Uh, uh, and they mirror the, the model of child re- m- Child rearing and parenting is something that's fundamentally skewed uh, within domestic violence uh, because they don't learn the good practices. They don't learn how to... Um, uh, how to use effective discipline? Uh, they 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 learn from who they learn it from, and sometimes the um, uh, what they learn is is a slap upside the head is what you do. Well, that promotes that later on. Yeah. Uh, that promotes. Uh, we get young young uh, children who are treating mom just like dad treated her, because they've learned that at the foot of the master, and the master batterer is what we're talking about, the person that degrades and demoralizes because that's how they make themselves feel good. And so those kind of things get translated to the children. They learn how to treat mother. They learn learn how not to listen to her, how to denigrate and and degrade her as a human being. Uh, And they blame her for everything that's wrong. And then they blame one another, and then they blame the teachers, and then they blame, and they blame, and they blame. And uh, taking responsibility is very really difficult.
0: What about other members of the family who may not even be in that environment? I mean, mm-hmm. like, um, oh, let's say the survivor's extended family, there's their siblings who may not be under that same roof but maybe see – the effects mm-hmm. of the abuse that that person has been subjected to?
1: Well, it scares the living daylights out of them because they feel like they can do nothing about it. They can't change it. And when they talk to their, uh, their family member and, and the family member says, no, I, it, okay, I, I, no, I'm not leaving. I know. Here's, here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, abusive relationships... Are not violent all the time. Okay, there are periods when the a man, woman, or a man uh, is rem, is reminded why they fell in love with the abuser to begin with. So there are periods in there. So there's a, a, a up and down within those abusive yeah. relationships. So I would just wait. No, I'm not going to leave him. I'm not going to leave her. I'm going to wait because it's right now. It's pretty good. And then all of a sudden it hits again. And those folks, those family members who tries to support often get burned. They get, they get tired of hearing it all the time. Yeah. And so the support tends to walk away. Can't be a part of it. So I'm going to, the, what they, they do is they disassociate themselves from, from that. And they're not there as a support system. Well, we, we've, we've helped you three or four times and you came back every time. So I'm, how can I support you? There's, the other, there's another part of it in our society that is uh, tr- uh, particularly damning, and that is, is that there's a whole bunch of our culture that thinks, well, uh, she must deserve it. She must have done something to deserve it. Because we have this idea, we have this idea for centuries uh, that the man has the right, has yeah. the God-given right, if you will, or has the right, anyway, to uh, dominate and subjugate the woman. And so that's a part of our culture, and that's a hard thing to fight. It's cultural change. And so we're doing that better than we have ever done it before, but we're not there yet. And so that's a
0: part of that issue. Yeah. Huh? How have you seen have – you, have you seen a lot of um – men who are the recipient of domestic violence and and how is that different obviously when you're talking about society Mm -hmm. you know when you're a man you're not supposed to um that just goes against what we're taught you Mm -hmm. know you're not supposed to let a woman hit you and if Mm -hmm. you are you're weak and kind of what you said you may deserve to you may deserve it if you can't uh Mm-hmm. If you're going to let a woman hit you, well, how does a man process all that? And how do they cope it's with that? More, it's more—it's
1: more common than what we want to admit, but it's very much underreported. Uh, exactly for what you said, men don't report right. it because it's a—it is a tremendous offense to their masculinity. And so they tend they, they tend to leave the relationship more often than women do, because remember men often will have more resources than women do, so they will leave it rather than stay in it. Uh, but it is um, it's more common than most of us know, and I think it's very underreported. Uh, we've had a number of men that I've treated over the last uh, ten or fifteen years that. Uh, Men are more willing to come out now because there's more attention to that and they can uh, see it and feel it better. There's, there, there's more accept societal mm-hmm. acceptance of men saying, I'm not going to live with this. Uh, sometimes they'll fight back and they'll go to jail. Sometimes they'll fight back and they'll get killed so men yeah. are, aren 't the only ones right uh, but it 's much less common and probably much less reported uh, it takes it It takes a little bit different level of work uh, to work with a, a male survivor than it does it 's a different different uh, context uh, but you 're still dealing with self image still in, dealing with fragile and and affected egos. Uh, and uh, their competence is is questioned. And so it really plays a a different role in their lives.
0: Something that I've – well, well, let me go back. First first of all, um, does any example just stand out if – I don't know if you've been asked this before, to think of like a success story of someone that you've treated – um, or I don't know, treated the right <laughs> word. Who you've seen, and yes, I apologize yeah. for that. Yeah. Uh, someone that you've seen does does a particular story just stand out of someone who's just been very successful and has overcome all odds to get their life together and lead a normal, well, a new normal, a yeah, new normal life.
1: Uh, Yes, uh, very much so. There's there's been a number of very very successful folks who have uh, come through my attention over the well last two or three years anyway. Uh, One was a a young 18 year old uh, pregnant woman came in and uh, had been uh, uh, subjugated since age uh, oh golly age 16. Uh, under, had been abused, physically abused, psychologically abused, isolated, no money, no car, uh, no clothes, and pregnant, okay? Had the baby, took care of that baby, loved that baby, uh, worked every way she can, learned some things about herself, uh, was able to reconnect with her family, or her uh, mother and her family because she was doing posit- something positive. Uh, Ended up um, going to college, was going to uh, going one direction, and found out what she really wanted to do while she was there. Uh, Went through the training program, uh, took her baby, got a job making uh, something like sixty dollars an hour, and uh, in in a man's world, and is being extremely successful. Awesome, and she is the light. And she is excited and happy, and uh, all of that came because she had the support of people who were interested and loving toward her. Mm-hmm. That she that and uh, no one had shown her that, and but she took it,
0: ran with it, yeah. and did a great job. That's great. Uh, I always try to ask, and I've asked this before with different. Mental health professionals, and, I, and I, wanna, I want to ask you this: as much stuff as you see that is just so wrong and negative, uh, as a as a person, as a human, at the end of the day, what does Doctor Cho do to decompress <laughs> and to? I guess, not carry all of this home okay. at the end of the day? What do you do? Well,
1: that's interesting you should ask that. Uh, one of the things that I do for uh, volunteers is uh, that I talk to them about compassion fatigue. And compassion fatigue is similar to PTSD, where you, you have a traumatic event, but traumatic events happen tend to happen all at once. Compassion fatigue is something that builds up over time. And it's when your when your level of caring can end up hurting you. And one of the things you learn, and we try to teach people how to how to mitigate this, is that you learn how to uh, leave it at the work. You leave it there. That you're not uh, you're. There's no way that you can take care of everything for everybody, so you, right. you take a look at what you can do. But what you do is you be healthy. You eat good, you get rest, you exercise, you take vacations, you take time off. You come to a realization that, uh, that you can't fix everything for ever, excuse me, everybody. You avoid alcohol, you, caffeine, all of that those picker-uppers. And then you have a, you, you develop a community where you can sit down, some people you can sit down and talk about, what's what what's, unload those burdens without having to feel like you're taken care of or that they're not, you're not okay if you feel those things. Um, the, the, the real issue, and, and uh, this has been an issue, golly, uh, been researched since the 1970s, this issue of compassion fatigue, that it's, it's referral uh, stress. In other words, you, uh, you, it didn't happen to you, but you heard about it. Your clients tell you. I had a, a client once tell me that, uh, uh, that she spent the first three years of her life locked in a closet. And it wasn't until her um, stepdad or whatever shot three bullets into the closet that she was discovered in that closet. How do you get over that? And how do I, as a caring professional because that's what causes this is that I care and sometimes I care too much how do I as a caring professional not take that load on well I have to I have to do preventative I have to make sure that I'm mentally okay that I I take care of my issues okay I take care of my relationships okay and sometimes I may seek help to do that uh so it's it's not unusual that counselors go to counselors. Uh, we, you know, we we, sure. we yeah. carry heavy burdens, sure. and so what we do is we have to use prevention. We have to uh, have a have a caring community. We have to eat well, sleep well, exercise, uh, you know, do all those good health things so that
0: we can be okay. And the last thing I want to ask you, real quick, what? made you decide when, when little Bob was toddling around, (laughs) what made you decide that this is the career path you wanted to pursue to, to, to help others like this? Part of it, I'm, I'm like most
1: of us in this profession, we usually have some skeletons back there in the family and we have some issues that we want to either, we want to fix ourselves or we want to fix other people. Well, I learned very early on in my training that I can't fix other people, so I said I better take a look at myself here a little bit, but part of it was the the attraction to the to the pain that other people get involved in and get embroiled by. Uh, and I saw that in my own family. I, uh, I have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. Uh, I have uh, There was alcoholism in my family. There, like many people who go into mental health treatment, uh, there is uh, lots of issues like, like that. And uh, living was hard. And I saw other people out there that it wasn't so hard. I said, what's the difference? Um, I was in the military for several years, and it was during that time that I made the uh, take some courses in counseling. And I went back and uh, got my undergraduate degree and just followed along. And in my private practice, a large part of my my practice over the years have been uh, women who are dealing with uh, domestic violence, Sexual assault, and, and especially childhood assault, so childhood sexual assault, and but they don't, but I don't get them until their uh, late twenties, mid thirties, because often that is the time when their children get very similar, are the very similar age, sure. to where they were abused, okay. and so it, it pushes them into exploring their life differently and dealing with the pain. Of uh, that that they've been living with for most of their lives. Yeah, and that's what we get in the in, and it's often what we also get. It's very seldom that I see someone uh, uh, that comes through uh, that talks about domestic violence that can't also say or hear something about sexual assault. Right. So <laughs> it's,
0: it's, right. The,
1: yeah. it's the complex trauma sure. that we talk about.
0: All right. Dr. Choke, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. Uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate it. Thanks you. a lot. Uh, everybody at the agency kind of looks at me funny. And then when I approach them, they're like, okay, Stuart's going to ask me to come onto the podcast. And, but you were very eager. So I, I, I appreciate that. And that's all the time we have for today. If you would like to contact us regarding conversations and connections, you can do that by emailing us. And that email is conversationsandconnections at FCCET.com. And if you feel like you are in need of services from the Family Crisis Center, we do have a hotline that is answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that number is 1-800-828-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-828-7233. And remember, as always, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else.